0: Welcome to Uncut Jewels, a podcast featuring some of my favorite musicians and the great work of their lives, changing the world one song at a time. I'm your host, Kristen Jewel, and I'm excited to share my crazy world with you. So let's get to it. Come on in. Hello. Welcome to Uncut Jewels. I'm Kristen Jewell. I'll be your host tonight. I'm so excited to share with you that we've got Jim Scott, seven-time Grammy-winning producer, engineer, Jim Scott, mix art. He's everything. He does everything. And we've got Hamish Anderson with us, too. And they're going to be talking about the making of trouble. Come on, guys. Come and join me. Hello.
1: Hi there, Kristen.
0: Hello, seven time Grammy winning producer, engineer, extraordinaire mixing person <laughs> to a mouthful. Welcome, welcome to Uncut Jewels. We're so excited you're here. How you doing? This is great. Technology good? in
1: action. <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing great. Yeah, doing good. Thanks.
0: Great. And then welcome back, Hamish Anderson. We know we've had you in the in the studio before. Welcome back. Yep. We're we calling you. Uh, Thank you. Good, good to be back. Seven time sandwich eating sandwich
2: ada been- champion <laughs> i thought
0: there was going to be a banner for that i was so excited.
2: <laughs> that would <have> been good. <laughs> next time That's,
1: oh, a, that's, no. a, that's okay. a, what I said. like a sandwich every day for a week that's the way <laughs> yeah <that's> the <laughs> supply is die. Was-
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll get into that we definitely need to get it. pliers die is the best it's actually a really good one okay so how's everybody doing i know it's i haven't seen you guys in i can't even remember when the last time i saw you that's scary I remember we were
2: all together right before I came back to Australia at Hotel Cafe when I had a gig there. So that was like mid November last year, I guess it was. Oh, man. That long. Yeah, yeah, that's right.
0: That's right. That was your last show at the the cafe. Carol was there too, right? I think it was, that was a beautiful night, but I can't, I mean, look, it's amazing to think how long we've gone through. I can't believe I was thinking about this when we, you know, Hamish and I were talking about like, how, what do we want to do? And we wanted to have a night with you so we could get to spend some time with you. Um, And then we were like, wow, trouble's going to be four years old tomorrow, October 21st. We just looked it up. So it's officially tomorrow, which (coughs) means in Australia. It's the future. So it's today, right? (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. Happy anniversary. Thank you. It's a good future. Tomorrow will be a good day.
0: So I can't believe it's been four years since we released Trouble, the album, and five years since we've all collectively been working (laughs) through this together. So cheers. Amazing.
1: Yeah, cheers to that, yeah. Two records out in five years is um, pretty pretty amazing these days. That's a lot of content. That's really good. We did so
0: many releases off of that album, and yet like we'll talk about the song to beat is trouble. <laughs> so here we are. Hamish, you're still, you're in Australia and you're officially done. Sorry, you're about to go out of lockdown. So I heard it's a hundred days now you've been in lockdown.
2: Yeah, well, I'm in Melbourne. So the rest of Australia hasn't been on the same lockdown, but Melbourne's been on, yeah, really crazy, uh, strict lockdown, which, you know, things kind of got out of hand here around June or July, I think it was. And so then we went into a very strict lockdown which was like only leave the house for like an hour a day and wow. you could only leave to go and basically in your area so 5 km i don't know what that is in whatever but like just you know in your area to go walk right. and yes and it, there was a curfew like you know couldn't be out of your house from 8 PM until six AM, and yeah, it's just been you know, it's good. It's really good now because I think we're hopefully getting to kind of like the light at the end of the tunnel where the numbers have significantly dropped, and there's now basically in the next two weeks, restrictions are easing and they're reopening things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it feels definitely in a better place now. But yeah, it's just been a very very crazy time as it has oh, kind of everywhere. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, that, yeah. It does really sound tough, and it sounds really pretty austere but i wish we were doing it here in america because yeah, if thing, we yeah. if we don't do it we're all gonna get it yeah. and i don't you know i mean healthy people are dying
2: yeah no i get it and that's the thing it is as hard as it's been i'm glad that we did it because that's the thing and now you actually see you know it was really hard and it took a long time but now you see that it actually has worked and numbers have gone down, you know, it went from like almost 800 or something was our worst. And now it's down to like one or two cases a day. So you can see that it it takes a while, but it works. And now I think it's just hopefully keeping it down and, you know, getting a balance between returning to some normality and still, you know, being sensible and wearing masks and keeping distance and just, you know, trying to be safe.
0: I mean, that sense of normal life is God only knows what that means anymore, but That was where you are.
1: Well, I'm, I'm in my studio. I have a. I live in California, and I have a studio close to my house. And I've been very, very fortunate that during the lockdown, I was able to stay home. I have a great place to live, and we were able to just, you know, shift gears and stay home and survive. But now that things been opening back up, and some people are working, I'm very, very lucky. I can. I have a, a very big space, <clears throat> and most of the time, I just work with one other person. I'm usually just mixing some something. But if some people come in for an overdub or even for a tracking date. I have enough rooms where people can stay far enough apart. I have enough air conditioners where nobody needs to breathe the same air. I have enough square feet where everybody can stay really far apart and we can, you know, we can put five or six people together in a room Mm -hmm. and still have incredible amount of ventilation and social distancing and as long as people just sort of, you know, be smart and play by the rules, we can almost work normally. That's great. Uh, that, that's kind of the good news. It's not really very much fun. It's not. It, this is the first time I've had my mask off all day because I'm um, uh, even though I have clients here today, I'm I'm around the corner inside a room inside a room inside a room with the door shut, and I've got my mask off, so it's pretty good. Yeah, After, I'm, happy right? I'm happy to be so here. I'm happy to be. Glad
0: to be able to see your face. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't think about that. That's crazy. Wow. So um, obviously, you know. So, I mean, you guys are on different continents now, but, and let me ask the question because I know, although we just admitted that Hamish is from Australia, Jim, where are you from originally?
1: I grew up in uh, St. Louis, Missouri. I was born in Indianapolis and um, as a baby, my we moved to Detroit, Michigan. My father worked for the Ford Motor Company. So we did a little time up in Dearborn while he was, mm-hmm. you know, in the, uh, in the, in the, kind of like the Ford Motor Company think tank, which was actually pretty cool. The era that he was in, he was, he was on a, a team with Lee Iacocca, who later became the president of General Motors and Chrysler, and Robert McNamara, who later became secretary of state. Same. And uh, So, you know, we, we, were, we were fortunate. We, you know, we had a good life. Uh, later, he was transferred to St. Louis. So I moved to St. Louis when I was four years old. Had a very stable home life lived in the same house until I graduated high school and went off to college. So I grew up in the Midwest and uh, it was great. When I left, I was pretty sick of it, but looking back on it, you know, it, it, it was a, it was a great place to live and a great place to grow up. That's
0: great. So, I mean, obviously like, you know, Hamish growing up in Melbourne and you growing up in the Midwest at some point when we started connecting, I'm kind of curious, like both of you had inspirations.
2: Yeah. Uh, well, the first like real musical memory I have of music hitting me and inspiring me to to want to play guitar and, and write songs was uh Hearing the Beatles. And yeah, it was it was the Beatles White album that my dad had lying around on, you know, double disc C D and just one day I kind of put it on. And I remember like back in the USSR just coming out of the speaker and just instantly exciting me. And, you know, something went off in my brain that I thought I want to play guitar and I want to do whatever that is. And, and then it was like months of begging my parents to get me a guitar. And finally my dad and my grandpa took me down to the guitar shop and there was a orange flaming Ibanez that I think in my brain I thought was a Les Paul like Jimmy Page used but my dad was probably super happy that it actually was an Ibanez which is significantly cheaper and a good first guitar to get and I got that and it was just like I just remember instantly wanting to write songs like that was a huge part of it that you know John Lennon's voice when I got further into the Beatles listening to John Lennon you know that was what made me want to write songs and play guitar and And my dad's record collection was all the music I still love now. So it was Finding the Stones and Led Zeppelin and John Lee Hooker and B.B. King and, you know, Joni Mitchell and Bob Dylan and all those people. It's just, you know, it was like each week finding, you know, listening to The Who and it was like I would ask my dad, you know, all about The Who and then it was finding out about Eric Clapton and all that stuff and it just kind of set me on the journey that I'm still kind of on now.
0: So, Jim, how about you? What about some musical influences when you were growing
1: up? Uh, you know, it's really amazing. I'm surprised we didn't talk about that. That's That's kind of what I was going to say. Basically, what you just <laughs> said is what I was going to say, except that was happening when all that was happening live when i was a a kid i mean my first my my mom played the piano and we had a musical family and my brothers and i were all had access to music lessons and i played i had piano lessons for a minute and i had drum lessons for a minute and i had trumpet lessons for a minute and none of it really stuck which is sort of my shortcoming i'm i'm not (laughs) a musician i kind of wish i was but it just somehow none of that really stuck with me. But my first memory is my parents love music. And I remember we went to the record store and I guess sometimes now you take your kids to get some little trinket like, you know, I don't know. I'm probably dating myself, but for my kids, we would go buy them a Pokemon card or something like a set of cards. Or you know, you, you, when you take your kids out, you want to get them a little treat or something. So my folks would take me out, and I and we would buy uh, a record, which was I thought was pretty incredible because I think they only cost like twenty five cents or something back in the fifties. And I remember my very first record that I bought was a Perry Como record. Perry Como mm-hmm. was a kind of a, a smooth, silky singer that my parents liked quite a bit. And I bought his single. It was a sort of a novelty single called "What Did Delaware?" And it was a, a joke song about all the states. Like, what did Delaware? She wore a brand new jersey. She went to say Hawaii. She went to pay her. She went to pay her taxes. You know, so it was it was funny song. <laughs> But <laughs> That's I also remember buying Jailhouse Rock, Elvis Presley record, and I still have the 45 with the original jacket mm. of him with a scene from the movie on it, which was pretty great. And, uh, and you know, and time went on, and I, I liked pop radio. All kids liked pop radio. And I listened to all the great music in the late 50s and the early 60s. And, you him if you're talking about the White Album, I got my first copy of the White Album from my brother who was in Vietnam fighting the war. He sent me a copy of the White Album from Vietnam that he bought at the PX. Wow. So that's pretty cool, I think. Awesome. You know, and I still have, I still have it, of course. But that's amazing. Um, yeah, you know, it's just uh, all those same influences. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm still much more interested in in music that was made and recorded in the analog style, without, uh, you know, I mean, when people had to like sing and tune and play in time before you had the ability to fix and change and tweak. Uh, you know, not that you don't have the, have the right to try to make something better any way that you can, but, you know, there was a whole era long era of music making where people just played it and sang it and if you were good enough that was the record and you watch live videos and live tv shows of some of these you know some old ed sullivan shows where people were singing live or other you know dean martin shows or even the johnny cash show they were sitting in front of a microphone going out live and you don't hear a bad note these people they could sing and play no monitors microphone five feet away from them and they sound like you're There in your living room. So I, you know, my earliest memories of music are of great songs that move me. You know, just singing along and playing along with songs that I loved.
0: That's great. Well, you answered my next question, which was, (laughs) "What's your first memory of music?" Well done. Because well, yeah, I guess that would have
1: to be that. that's, That's pretty close. You know. Yeah.
0: Was that your first memory, or were there others?
1: Well, like Hamish said, you know, the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan Show. I mean, that was amazing music before The Beatles. Don't, don't mm. get me wrong. I mean, that was uh, in the early 60s. They were huge stars, which, huge hits. And, you know, The Beatles on Ed Sullivan, that was my counterculture as a 12 or 13-year-old kid. Okay, I need shoes like that. Yeah, I, I need mm-hmm. hair like that. You know, gosh, looking at looking at that thing, you know, George Harrison was a teenager. Yeah, it's crazy. So, and and I almost was. So it's like, well, he's not much older than me. And look <laughs> at him, you know, look at, I, I, I need some pants like that. I You know, where do you get a suit yeah. like that? That's what I need.
2: What about you, Hamish? What's your first memory with music? Music for me, kind of like what Jim was saying before that. It was just before I heard the Beatles, I don't know whether I even liked the music I was hearing, but I just listened to it because I had an older sister. So whenever she would get a good Charlotte CD or a John Mayer CD, I remember distinctly not liking the John Mayer CD. This was before John Mayer went bluesy, so when he was more poppy. But like, you know, most of that stuff I would just kind of listen to because she was listening to and it was just kind of like, you know, I don't know if I liked it or not. It was just because she listened to it. But before that, I was always, I think the main thing was I was always interested in history. So like when I was a kid, I was really obsessed with Charlie Chaplin. Like there was a big period of time where I was just gung-ho obsessed with Charlie Chaplin and like Marlon Brando and Alfred Hitchcock and all this stuff. So I just liked old stuff and stuff with history. And that still, I think, is why I like, you know, the blues resonates with me and, rock and roll and folk music, because any music that has roots in history, that's what's interesting to me. A lot of modern music doesn't necessarily have roots or history, so it isn't as appealing to me where I think the main thing that runs through all the things I'm interested in is just being able to, you know, find out where they got it from and who they were influenced by and where it came from. And that's just kind of been like a thread with my interests. Yeah. makes sense.
0: It's amazing to think that there's at least maybe like two or three years between you guys and age and you <laughs> yeah. a very similar experience.
2: Yeah. I'm getting here. I think so, i a few years old. You know, Hamish is like, 85. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I just look like a fourteen-year-old girl, but I'm actually yeah. eighty-five.
0: <laughs> he's eighty-five.
2: I got a good
1: plastic, I'm plastic surgery. I'm only really close uh, to that, uh, gym, but yeah, I'm only eighty-two, so it's
0: like, <laughs> yeah. Okay, I was gonna say you're not even close yeah, to that. a like, young it's time. Hamish, it's like... I always say Hamish is like eighty-five years old, and like people are like, "How can you hang out with him?" Like he's like a like a literally like an old curmudgeon. Like, <laughs> I don't want to do that tonight. Okay, so my uh, next kind of like evolution of that is like, when did your musical careers start? Obviously, you were interested in music, but when did you like definitively be like, I'm going to do this for a career like this is what I want to do?
1: All through high school, I played <laughs> drums in a rock and roll band and we were popular. We were sort of the it band of my high school and we played all the dances and we played, you know, the local teen centers. And my lead singer and I, uh, our families had just as it happened to be, we had matching Ford station wagons. They were the same year and the same color with the same paneling on the side. So th- those were the cars that we would use to drive our equipment to gigs. So we made banners of our band and put them in the back windows and we would roll up in two matching station wagons with our band logo and all our PA and all our equipment. So it was really a lot of fun for those 3 years of being in high school to to do that and I thought, well, I can actually do this. We're doing it. It was fantastic. So off, well, I went to college and I thought, well, I'm just going to get in a band when I get to college and this is going to be fantastic. And I had my drum set and I went and I auditioned for a couple of bands. And I quickly realized that coming from St. Louis, Missouri to Los Angeles, California was a completely different fishbowl. And I actually couldn't play the drums at all. I didn't even know how. So I tried a couple of bands and it was horrible. So I just, I I sort of uh, went went through college and became an adult and got a job and one thing led to another. And after, you know, four or five years of being an adult and working after college, I just thought, I really hate my job. I kind of hate being an adult. I am not happy. I want to go back and find some happiness in my joy and just do something. And what what could I possibly do? When was I really really happy? So it didn't take long to, for me to remember that I was always happy when I was around music, making music, driving the stage wagon, setting up the equipment, playing, rehearsing, hanging out, doing whatever. So I thought, okay, well, I'm going to I'm going to apply for a job as a stagehand at the Universal City Amphitheater because I could be be around all those shit I could I know how to load I'm going to apply to be a stagehand I'm going to apply at a record store so I can listen to records all day long and sell records and I'm going to apply at a recording studio just to see if I could get a job I mean I don't know how to make records but somebody knows how to make records and if you're in a recording studio you're making records so making music so that's what I'm going to go do so I by a miracle I got a job at a recording studio even though I was a little old for the job of being the gopher. I was, (laughs) you know, I was a college educated, five year experienced you know, professional applying for a gopher job at a recording studio. And I got it, which was a miracle. And I um, was happy to to make minimum wage at that time. (laughs) And you were a geologist? Right. Yeah, I was, I, was a, I was an engineering geologist, you know, in Southern yeah. California. We have, you know, a lot of interesting geology. There's earthquake studies, there's liquefaction studies, there's hillside building. Or, you know, it's all the kind of stuff that you do. You take samples, you run tests, you make recommendations. It's, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, it's a it's a great profession. I just kind of hated it. I was very adult and grown up for me. And I wasn't, I just went into it. So
0: like, I'm right.
1: I, I got a job in a <laughs> recording studio and I worked very, very hard. I was really motivated and I was excited to be be on a path of uh, like what i really wanted to do and you know my goal at when i was a janitor uh, i was a gopher and then i was a janitor and then i was a setup guy and then i was an assistant and i just was thinking god if i could just be a recording engineer and sit in that chair and work with real artists like People that I've heard of, like maybe somebody that's actually made a real record, that would be like the best life ever in this whole world. And so that actually happened pretty quickly. It happened for me in like four years from the time I applied for my gopher job until I was actually making records was like a four year kind of thing. I was ecstatic and I was satisfied and I was happy. And part of this conversation is if anybody's wondering what they're going to do with their life, just make sure you don't set your sights too low because chances are you'll you'll hit your mark if you really go for it, you'll hit your mark sooner than later so i didn't have any idea how to produce records and i didn't have any idea how to make records i just thought you know being an engineer was like learning the equipment and the microphones and taking your cue from the producer and the artist and being a team player and and that's sort of my job now now i do all all of those jobs at the same time and it's it's better for me to work that way it's not that i don't play well with others it's just that i and more comfortable being the producer and the engineer and the mixer, uh, because the communication is one-on-one and, um, and that's, you know, uh, uh, with other artists as well as Hamish, that's the quickest way to like get right to the bone. It's like, what is going on? And it's just you and me, and we're going to talk about this and then we're going to go figure it out and then we're going to record it. So, there's no other guy getting a drum sound and there's no other guy picking the songs and there's no other guy doing the mix. It's it's me and my artist. And uh, and it, it's 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 really worked well for me. I, I enjoy it. It's good. It's hard work, but it's good. Yeah. It's fun. Uh,
0: didn't you say that the first um, time you were able <coughs> to hear what was that? You the first time you an assistant engineer or was it engineering? Didn't you get nominated the first time? Well, yeah. I mean, I,
1: I had I had worked you know I had worked my way to the top of the assistant engineer chain at the record plant. You know, shout out to the record plant who I love dearly with all my heart and very good to me. But I'd worked my way up as far as I could go, and I needed more money. I was making four dollars and fifty cents an hour and working hundred hours a week. And I thought, if I'm gonna, I'm gonna go in and get, uh, I'm gonna ask for a twenty-five cents an hour, make five dollars an hour, so I can make an extra twenty-five dollars a week. This is gonna make a big difference in my life. I went in to ask for that 25 cents an hour raise and God bless him, Chris Stone, the late great owner of the record plant said, no, nah, I'm sorry, I can't give you that quarter because if I give you the quarter, everybody else is gonna need a quarter. And I can't afford that, so you gotta. That's it. No, I can't give it to you. And I said, okay, well, I gotta move on. I got a, I got a wife, and I got a house, and I gotta, I gotta make more money. I gotta move on. And He said, that's great. Now you're a recording engineer. So go out there and bring me a client. And I just thought <laughs> this is fantastic. So I was, un- I was unemployed for about a year, and then one thing led to another, and I finally got a break. I got a really, a really wonderful big break. I had made friends with a guy who was working with Sting, a young fabulous record producer named pete smith and he and i met under some other circumstances and he liked me and i kind of helped him out with some stuff and and he said when you want to come and engineer this record with me i'm making a sting solo record and i was like sure so, I flew down to Barbados, and luckily, I was well trained, and I knew how to run an SSL console with a computer and how to lock two tape recorders together and some technology that's now long gone. But at the time, it was cutting edge, and I was educated and I knew what to do, and I had it under my fingers. and I was even though I was in a different country with a bunch of bunch of Englishmen who were had attitudes, finally the american his American band showed up, and we had a great time. So, It was an amazing record, The Dream of the Blue Turtles. And I was nominated for the best engineered recording, non classical, for the very first record that I ever engineered. And lost.
0: But you got it. You got the nomination the first time. That's yeah, really good. yeah, it's
1: pretty fun. It was pretty You're
0: fun. like Anna lost.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so uh, yeah, Hamish, that's going to be a hard one to follow. But I was telling <laughs> me. Uh,
2: <laughs> yeah, well, mine will be quick. I mean, I don't feel like you know. I know I should have gone first, but um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I wanted you know, like I said, when I was 12, I, I got the music bug, and just for a long time, it was mostly about playing guitar and then kind of in my late teens a lot of it was like you know my dream would have been to really be in a band to be like you know one of the one of the guys and just like being a band whatever but no one i knew played an instrument or had any interest in you know it wasn't a cool thing to play guitar when i was like coming up like it was like much cooler to be a dj or you know pop it was probably around the pop stuff so britney spears and things like that so guitar wasn't like a super cool thing that people dug So I just, you know, I didn't really have, couldn't find people to play with. So I kind of fell into doing like the solo thing just by lack of, you know, not having anyone to play with. Same with singing. It was like if you would get with a group of people who could play, no one would want to sing. So it was like I looked at, you know, Jimi Hendrix and Eric Clapton, who are my heroes, and I was like, well, they sang. So I'll just give it a try because someone's going to do it. And then it was like, yeah, really, my first kind of like performing experience was just doing like the pub, you know, acoustic guitar, playing like two hour sets in pubs. And it was really great in retrospect, because I would learn all these Beatles songs and Bob Dylan songs and Tom Petty songs and whatever. And it was like a crash course in songwriting, because it really made me break down what made these songs work and, you know, learning all about bridges and choruses and so on, so on. And then it was like, you know, I would sneak in one of my songs and if people wouldn't, you know, would think it was like one of, you know, just a cover song or didn't stand out, then it, that was like a really good kind of, you know, learning experience. And yeah, really, I got lucky to get to work with a producer here in, I think it was like 2000 and 13 or 12 um this guy eric Dabowski, who was american but had moved to australia and f- through a mutual contact um he enjoyed some songs that i put online so that was kind of my first experience in a studio and i learned i learned a lot from it just basically you know again being thrown in the deep end and learning about, you know, I didn't even know that like people doubled their voices or guitars. Like I thought that people just went in and played and that was how it happened. And it was like, like we were talking about before, the length of the song was like how long it took to do it in a studio or whatever. So it was a big learning curve about recording. And but really, I feel like the moment, I feel like my career really started to move was when I moved across to America in 2014. Mm. And it was like, I did every kind of gig, basically you could do like from then even up until now it's like everything from playing to like you know no one in a bar to playing like a really big you know huge festivals or opening slots and like just being a road warrior and getting out there and playing and and you know you just get some really great opportunities like i got to open for bb king in the first year i went over which you know for me coming from australia and growing up on his music and stuff that was a huge deal and and I got to open for Steven Stills and Los Lobos and just Gary Clark Jr. and all these people, and just to kind of like Jim was saying, it's like these goals you have, you know, these dreams you have that get to happen, and and you just learn so much from it
0: yeah well along the way we did a your debut album we had a lot of momentum on the eps which were great and we love them but the when this album came out it's amazing like obviously as a debut album for it to still hold up i mean i guess it's pretty much maybe jim you probably have this experience all the time but like making trouble was trouble <laughs> begin with, and it was also really amazing and it had like a a life of its own. So, you know, yeah, that's years- a big
2: defining moment, I think for, for yeah. me. And that's a moment where I, I do feel like, you know, I'm, I'm proud of the stuff I did before, but I do feel like that with trouble, it, it's just something that I feel like is really me. And it's a moment where I was able to blend kind of the guitar stuff I wanted to do with the singing and the songwriting. And like, especially, we'll probably get into this, but especially singing wise, my voice before Trouble, when I listen to it now, sounds completely different to me. It's like this kind of low, mumbly, slurry, probably because it sounds like I'm drunk, but probably because I'm Australian, but it's just very like, non-defined and like kind of messy. And on Trouble, Jim helped kind of have the voice be so clear and direct and just up front. And the way I sing, to me, sounds completely different to how I was singing before.
0: Well, okay, so let's talk, before we do that, I just want to acknowledge the banner that just was up is because when we released the single Trouble on April 15th, tax day, I guess we did it, uh, 2016, it got added to this Spotify playlist the day it was released, and it's been there ever since, which is pretty mind-blowing if you think about the world that we're in today and the digital consumption of music and how fast people go through things. When you look back, I mean, it's been seamlessly on there. It's over four years. So... Wow, that's one thing that we didn't even know we were sitting on, but it's it kind of is the definitive song for you in your catalog right now, at least it seems to be, and it's still the song to beat. So that's one milestone that I think no one could see coming. We weren't planning on any of that, you know, at all. We just sort of like went in and I think wasn't Trouble was Trouble the actual first song? You guys actually started laying down together?
2: No, it was, it was I remember super clearly it was Working Blues. Because working
0: Blues, I, oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And
2: I remember, you know, me and Jim hadn't worked together before that.
0: How did you get together?
2: <laughs> well, we were, I'm you and sorry, me were at a party of a mutual friend, mutual contact of all of us. Yeah. Yeah, I remember he had on the turntable, I think the album's called Fear and Saturday Night, right? The Ryan Bingham album. And it was this track called Top Shelf Drug, which is like a great rocker song. And I just remember, you know, whoever I was talking to, I just stopped paying attention and was listening to this song in the background. And it's funny because the production of it, which a lot of your stuff does, reminded me of the White Album. It had like that drum sound, the way you do vocals and everything. It just, something about it I just thought was awesome. So I asked this guy, you know, who is this and who produced this? And he said, oh, you know, this was produced by Jim Scott. I should introduce you because you two, you know, would get along and click. Yeah, I remember going out to Pliers. We just went out, you and me, Kristen, went out there just to have a meal and hang out and kind of talk. And I remember, you know, Pliers is like Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. Like it's like you open the door and you're transported to like a different place World, and it was just like my name was on the big. Jim has a big like neon light kind of sign, and it was the first thing I saw when I went in, which was super cool. and you were playing John May and the Bluesbreakers. I remember with Peter Green, and yeah, we just kind of spoke about music and and talked about what type of record I wanted to make. And as you were saying, I'd kind of started with a different producer on some songs and it went south very quickly and, you know, we weren't seeing eye to eye. So I was a little bit lost in how, what I was going to do. And like, you know, it was a little bit like, I I was away from home and just kind of trying to move to America. And I was like, maybe this isn't going to work. And I don't know what's going on. And I'd lost some confidence in myself. And I remember as soon as I met Jim and we spoke about it, it was just like the best I'd felt in months. And I felt excited again about music. And it just kind of, it felt, music felt sacred and safe again. And it felt like he was going to be, the man to make it happen and which he was.
0: I remember distinctly being in an airport with you when we were trying to figure out next steps. And when we were talking about the Sonic experience, it was the, the Tom Petty's wildflower that I remember being the, like that was the thing that you were like, she's Jim Scott worked on one of my favorite albums ever and I know my ignorance was I didn't even know that album. I mean I probably knew songs from it but I didn't know the <laughs> albums who spent so much time explaining to me in great detail all of the things that Jim Scott did like on that process during that process and all yeah and his sound and the design of the sound and then I think it was Neil casal we talked about Neil there was a
2: and Wilco little, I mean those Wilco, Wilco records, yeah and, and and the I love and Cadsse tracks. And yeah, Doyle yeah, and yeah. yeah just Doyle,
0: Doyle, Doyle is another yeah. one yeah you worked with Bobby Doyle and,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: so then we came out and had sandwiches with you <laughs> yeah thank you <laughs>
1: that's how that's how you hook them you, you, yeah. <laughs> musicians are hungry yeah and they come always, for the music stay for the sandwich <laughs> yeah and like James Taylor said they always sing better when they're hungry so <laughs> yeah
0: yeah. And so let's take a pause because obviously Wildflower is now experiencing, a trim- first of all, it's Tom Petty's 70th birthday today, right? So happy birthday, Tom. Wildflower is being, I think you said it's 26 years. I thought it was 25, but is it 26 years ago that it released? Uh,
1: it, yeah, it came out in 94. So here we are in 2020. Here we are on ten, twenty, twenty twenty, uh, uh, and it would have come out sooner had Tom not, you know, pass away. And he was working on it before he did, and uh, it was and the Wildflowers record. You know, it, it was originally a double album. We worked on so many songs, and we had, you know, the twenty-four or five that we really liked, and we finished were going to be a huge double album. But the Warner Brothers executives talked him out of it which is probably a good idea at the time and that's one of the reasons why even though it's a, got 14 songs on it the wildflowers record as it was you know it's just all aces it's all really good songs it's all like tom said a couple of times like if, if you had a gun and you had six chambers why would you only want to put one or two bullets in the chambers like you got to you got to fill that gun up with all bullets you know like you got to put all good songs on your record you got to you can't put like some crap filler it's Not going to do anything like everything's got to be good. It's sort of like something you probably learned from being on the road with Kiss. Like, those guys don't mess around. Like, it's like every song's a single, you know, every song is the number one. Every bridge is every bridge comes right before an amazing chorus, and that's kind of what Tom's, you know, not comparing Kiss and Tom Petty, but there's it's like you have got to write good songs, you've got to write something that means something to you and means something to your fans and means you know if you don't believe it nobody else is going to believe it so
0: yeah yeah. and that's I mean so that's a good point because obviously like you know meeting us meeting Hamish and we did not come clean to you I will admit you know we became extremely messy, which is not something people talk about a lot, but it's like, sometimes it just doesn't work out, right? There's a vibe and you don't feel it, but you have really great things and you spent a lot of money getting people in the room. And so like, what can you do to salvage something? And, you know, we didn't even, we didn't even know what we were sitting on because I don't even think we had the files at that point. We still had to get them. So you were so instrumental in kind of just, you know, coming in and calming everything down for us. But I'm curious, like, what was it about Hamish that made you want to do it, you know? I mean, it's probably a lot easier to do other things than do this. uh,
1: Well, uh, what you have to remember, a guy like me, like a recording engineer, producer guy, and I've been lucky, I've worked hard, I've had a good career, this is all fantastic. But none of that happens unless I have artists to work with. I can't come over here by myself and do anything. Uh, There's nothing for me to do, except, you know, like clean up around the place. So I need artists to come in, and i need to try to help them with my experience and my passion so you know any project any artist that comes to me that wants to talk to me about music or work, talk about working together i take that very seriously and i listen very carefully to everything that comes to me unfortunately a lot of it i have to sort of pass on because it's below the line and it's not going to be good no matter if i did my best work ever it still wouldn't be very good. That's just how it goes. But when you hear some music from an artist, they say, would you like to hear some songs? And you listen to songs, and they're really great. And the guy sings in tune and plays in a groove and has songs that I like and remember. That gets my attention. And then I say, yeah, man, we can do something. Let's talk about the next step. Like, what are we going to do? And whether you have a record company behind you or if it's your own you know, your own pocketbook, or you have a benefactor or a Kickstarter, wherever... Wherever the financing comes from, it, nothing will happen until you have good songs and good singing. That is why we're here tonight, because, uh, you know, I knew in the first two or three songs that I heard that Hamish was great and that I wanted to work with.
0: Well, we're really grateful. Thank you for not yeah. judging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah,
0: fine. Maybe the toughest time in both of our <laughs> lives. I think it was really, really rock. We knew we had something good because we had Johnny out on drums. So that was always a good thing, too. Yeah. So let's talk about um, how do you guys, how did like working on the music and the production, obviously because we came and we sort of mapped it out. We had some pieces that were done before and then you had to, we filled them in with overdubs. But then when you guys actually got in the studio and you picked the songs you wanted to produce, how did like the production part, like did there were there moments that you remember, like like I know obviously Working Blues was the first one we laid down and we kind of went in and was like, hmm, this is really, this has a lot of swing to it. Yeah.
1: yeah. So the- well, it's, about being, it's about being comfortable in the studio, you know? I mean, Hamish had done, you know, a lot of work before he got here. It wasn't like he, you know, had never been in a studio it wasn't like he had never done a gig it wasn't like he had never played with pickup bands or no band or you know just like whatever and so to actually get your friends and people who are into it into a recording studio where you have things that work and microphones that sound good and drums and amps and everything that sounds good and you put on your headphones and you start playing and it sounds like a record that's pretty fun It's fun for me. I mean, that's my goal. My, my, My trick is to be so ready and so prepared and get it sounding so good as quickly as I possibly can, like within minutes of them starting, that by the time they get their headphones on and get comfortable and get their things adjusted, it's sounding really good and then when they come in for a play a playback it sounds like a record not like well i know yeah well we're gonna fix that up later or yeah well, i know it's right. a little you know uh, no it sounds like wow really we just did that we did that and we're and just like it's only two o'clock in the afternoon and we just did that that's what i work towards because i've been on the other side of that window where it it sounds terrible and you come in and You can't defend terrible. Yeah, I've I've played stuff back, and it sounds terrible. And I know it, and they know it, and everybody knows it. And it's like, all right, well, let's go back in there and see if if we can do something. Or it's like, wow, really? That that sounds great. Yeah, what's next? That's sort of the trick.
0: It was magic. I remember when we walked away that first day, we got in the car and listened to the remember that Hamish? I mean, oh yeah was for the sure track, so, yeah it
2: was
1: like well, thing, we I
0: already remember. have a mix
2: <laughs> No, no. <laughs> yeah and no, Working no. Blues was one that like starting with that I remember because yeah. it's so big and so fun that kind of set the whole template for what we were going to do, that it was, you know, the whole band playing together at the same time. And and, and we had a great band because it was Jim bought Chris Bruce, who's an incredible bass player uh, and also an incredible guitarist, but he was on bass doing that. and From Doyle's and band. I, yeah, from Dollar's Band. And I bought Jerry, who Jerry Bourget, who I've been playing with live, who was on keys, who's played with Jonathan Wilson. And then we had Aaron Sterling, who's played with everyone, like John Mayer and stuff. And, mm-hmm. and it was just a great band that I remember how exciting it was. You know, well, that's the thing. Up I mean,
1: there, were, there were people, there were professional musicians in the room yeah. who were excited to be with you and excited to be working in, you know, like a, a happy, healthy working environment doing what they love to do, make records like we all love to make records. we just started hitting on all cylinders. It was like, let's go. This isn't hard. This is easy.
0: Yep. So we started working through the tracking. We did the mixes with you for the other songs. So basically, like, okay, when you guys were working through this, I mean, I know the answer to this, but like, when did you know the song was done? Talk about that process, because in order for you to get to a place where you have a rough mix when you walk out the door for two songs, when you've been tracking for one day with even a trio or a four-piece band a lot of thought goes into exactly what is being kept (laughs) you know what i mean and like what's going away and you do you do that so fast but also so methodically i remember looking over your shoulder and you have you have your your chart of all the things so you can remember what you like it's a your process can we can you talk about it for us
1: it's beautiful well my process is about getting home a little earlier <laughs> and what that what I mean is like if you're gonna play a song 10 times, which is not unusual and that's not a lot. If you want to try to play a song 10 times, like let's take one. Not nah, too slow. Take two. not nah, too fast. Take three. No, Tommy made a mistake. Take four. Yes, it didn't feel good. Uh, take five let's take a break we're hungry let's go get some. you know it, it's easy to play a song 10 times in the recording studio and some people might play it many more times So anyone who's ever made a record will know that it's not the number of times it's the number of times that you play it well i've discovered that if i pay attention from the very first note of the very first take and I'm prepared and have a chart of the song, like with a bar count, like intro, first verse, second verse, chorus, whatever. Whatever the arrangement of the song is, I have a map. And if I hear something that I like on take one, it gets a little check mark because it's good. And if I hear something that's bad, it either gets no check or an x and if i hear a fill a drum fill that i like it gets a little mark going into the chorus there's a little fill on take one that's really pretty good and you you know you like big chunks but you like what you like and then on take two it might be like yeah the whole first verse is great oh they kind of screwed up there And the reason, and you go through take one, take two, take three, take four, take five, and I'm paying attention. And I can look at my map and go, like, good, 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 bad, 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 good, 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 all the way down, all the way through the arrangement, all the takes. And then I can look across the chart and go, like, I can put an amazing edit together of all amazing things. And that saves so much time because otherwise the band plays five takes and they come in and go like, yeah, I think we're pretty good. Let, let let's let's go. Let's go in and listen to it. It takes the same amount of time to play back five takes as it does to record five takes all analog, all real time. And so you sit there and you play back five takes and somebody says, yeah, I think take three was pretty good. It's like, no, three was the one where I made a mistake. Was it? No, four was the one that I liked. Really? Well, but four was the one where didn't you change the guitar on four? I mean, like, there's no no one has a memory. No one can remember the intro and the verse and the pre-chorus and the take and the fill of all those takes through all that time. So somebody's got to pay attention. And if you want to stay up for stay up all night and listen to it over and over and over and try to remember, well, that's up to you. But I've done that. I did that for like 20 years, staying up till 6 o'clock in the morning, cutting tape together, trying to get a take and now i pay attention and i have a map and i write down when it's good and i write down when it's bad and it's not hard but somebody's got to do it so i do it so when i think Mm -hmm. i have a take and it might be a one complete take or it might be an edit of all 10 takes i say all right everybody come in give me one minute i'm going to cut together a little highlight reel for you of this take and we cut it together and play it back and that's the first thing we play back we play back all good stuff. Nobody hears anything bad. Yeah. Everybody, everybody hears everything good. And then suddenly spirits are high. So it's like, man, we're good. And then you can fix it from there. If somebody's got a problem or missed a note or you know, wants to punch in, that's fine. But it, that that's the process. The process is paying attention and speeding things up so that there's momentum because you can lose people. They get, they if they're not involved, they'll go have a cocktail or check out or they'll just like not be available or you got to keep everybody's attention. You got to keep them interested. Yeah. You got to keep them excited. And the way you do that is with momentum. It takes a lot of energy and concentration, but it's it's the only way that I know how to do it anymore. It's pretty yeah, boring yeah, not, for people sad. who don't, don't have any <laughs> idea what we're talking about. But, it, you
0: know, I it. loved it. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're making trouble. We we're we're talking about it. So, and it wasn't boring being on the other end of this. Like, I don't know, Hamish. Why don't you talk about what did it feel like? And when do you know? When did you know the songs were done? Like, when when were you like, oh my god, this is this is gelled, and I'm here, and this is arrived.
2: It kind of ties in, but just before recording, I think like a big part of what working with Jim taught me was like the attention to detail about the song. So, like before you go in and do the recording and everything. I remember we went through all the demos and all the songs and it was so much about making sure that every part kind of has meaning and is there for a reason. Like a lot of the times I could write songs that things would maybe repeat too many times and I would get attached to, you know, repeating a chorus a bunch of times or an intro, whatever. And Jim really helped me to kind of hone in on like, you know, you don't need to hammer something home so many times. And it's more interesting if, you know, maybe you go back to a bridge twice instead of one time or whatever it was, it just puts such a laser focus on songwriting for me. That's, you know, ever since then, I feel like my songwriting has just improved and improved because that's been the focus. It's been not on, you know, oh, well, it'll sound different later when it has this guitar in it or whatever. It's like if it doesn't sound good on an acoustic guitar playing it, you know, with nothing else, then it's it's not really a song. Like you're kind of just shitting yourself. So like that was a big part of it. And then, you know, I think it was like Jim was saying, the fact that he does a mix that you play it and then you go in and you instantly hear it. One of the strongest memories I have from it was when we did the song You and I remember playing it. And then instantly going back into the room to hear it all together. And it was just like a moment that I'll never forget that it was like hearing that organ, the B3 sound. And like I said before, the sound of my voice just being so clear and so upfront. Yeah, it just like, it, it just took me kind of aback. And I remember that was like a big conversation that we had. I remember Jim, you were talking about that like on Tom Petty records, his voice is really upfront and then you were saying on like Rolling Stones records, Mick Jagger's voice is kind of more back and kind of buried in the mix. And we were going for somewhere kind of in between those mm. two things. And I think I'd been through that situation of coming in from playing and it doesn't sound good. And they say, oh, well, you know, later on with this and that, like I'd been through, I know exactly what you're talking about. So to have you come in and it sounds great and sounds like a song and a band, it's just like... That's a big part of it. And I think the way that gym works is the way I like to work as well, which is also not overthinking everything. And like if it sounds good and it feels good, that means it's good. You don't have to spend days trying to get a drum sound or a guitar sound and do this like whole tortured artist it's like if it sounds and feels good then that means it's good. I feel like I learned a lot watching you
0: just like the less is more. Does it serve the song? I just feel like that's like a piece that people get very self-indulgent in these places and to take something away feels like, you know, what are you doing? Why are you taking that away from me? But, you know, you are a great litmus test of like, is it really, really necessary? Like, You know, you're just, it's a great, you have a discerning ear. And it's really nice to have that just in your back pocket and, you you know, know that somebody's got your back. What do you think is a key ingredient to your partnership?
1: Well, it's a songwriting. And it's his vocal sound and his ability to sing in tune and and be write good words and sing in tune and be focused and there and a, like a real human. He writes the kind of songs that after you hear it once, you could you can imagine yourself singing it. Like some singers are so incredible that no one can sing like them. And Hamish is you know Hamish is like the kind of star guitar player singer that everybody wants to be. Like he makes it look so easy. And mm-hmm. like why couldn't I I could do that. That's great I love that why can't I do that so that's what it is for me all, Almost all of the records that I made are led by a front guy who writes the songs and plays great and there's a there's leadership like that's what's going on this is this guy's record well whoever's in the band they would say the exact same thing if you ask them the question that's why they're in the band like yeah. they're not in the band because they're the most amazing keyboard player in the world otherwise they'd be stevie winwood and play keyboards and sing they're not they're in his band and same yeah. with everybody that works with them same with me that's why i was so that <laughs> that's it that's for me that's the key good songs good singing nice guy great manager
0: <laughs> <laughs> we have it on tape <laughs> okay hamish yeah. hey, what about you what do you think is the key ingredient
1: i think it's just because it's
2: all about feeling like it, it, everything that was done was done because it felt good and with a lot of care and attention and that, that's what I think was the whole thing that it you know it wasn't about trying to sculpt up a you know radio hit or this or that whatever like it was all just because it was cool stuff that felt good to us yeah that part of it like I was saying I like that Jim doesn't overthink things and he goes by what feels good instead of, you know, I can tend to in my normal life overthink everything, but music is maybe the only thing I don't overthink. And that's when I can kind of go with my gut and follow my feelings. So I think that was a big part of it. And just, it was like a great, Great group of people to work with. I was very lucky to be able to work with all you guys and the band, you know, the players and everything. And it was like, yeah, it's amazing. It was like a really great loose tight band. Like that was the whole thing. Was it was like, you know, a lot of it's a lot of it was just super groove oriented, and it wasn't. You know, there wasn't a lot of super fast songs or anything like that. It was very in the pocket and had a nice kind of rock thing, but with like a relaxed thing going on as well. If,
0: If you guys haven't heard this album, shame on you. First. of Please go and listen to it. I think the one takeaway for me on these is, you know, everyone says, well, so it depends on the kind of music and the genre you're in. But in this particular genre, my learning is what these guys have put together is timeless and classic and the goal to all of this was you know whether or not you know who knows what the next 10 years look like but the idea is in 45 50 years from now you could still hear this music and it's contemporary in its sound so everything we did you know when kcrw picked it up it was like people were telling me left and right well that's just how it goes even though the album was a year old you know it's new to everybody. new to somebody so that was that this album kept getting its own life and just so many things about it just kept going and going and going pretty much right up until the second there you are Jim on that (laughs) device getting picked up by Richie. Um, So by the time we released the third single from it, it was like this, where is this all going? So when you look back and you think about this stuff, it's like, you know I, my personal feeling is like you have a you know you have these moments where you just think nothing can go right, and then everything just suddenly kicked in and went into like you know a, a gear that felt like a marathon. We felt like we were running a marathon for a while. So there's another English Anderson it, again. If you haven't listened to it, please take a listen. Please let's run those numbers up. I would really like to see uh, some spike on some trouble stuff, but we have been basically competing with this album every release we've had since then, which is great. So, well before we go, um, are there any projects, Jim, uh, that you're working on now that you want to talk about too? Well, we're thinking about, I know you have, um, some really, uh, a big release for Neil coming up
1: too. Oh yeah. Thanks. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm fortunately busy during, you know, this year there's, it's very, very bittersweet. One of my dearest friends, uh, amazing artist named Neil Cassal, who I made his first demos that got him his record deal and his first album and his third album. And Neil Cassell is an amazing artist. And sadly he committed suicide about a little over a year ago, which took us all by surprise because we, nobody saw it coming. He was very popular. He was working at the top of his game. He was Chris Robinson Brotherhood. He was in Ryan Adams and the Cardinals. He had 11 solo albums. He performed at lock with O'Teal and Friends and Phil Lesh, you know, 24 hours before he committed suicide. So we're, you know, we're trying to just wrap our heads around what we can do for our dear friend. You know, I've known him since the early 90s, made his first recordings ever and uh, and his last recording is his last his band the circles around the sun I, we were in the studio together just three days before he passed away uh so what we what we're doing uh, my manager gary waldman and and neil were very very close and grew up together and worked at the same record store many years ago in new jersey so what we've decided to do is honor neil with an incredible like m- memorial album and it's just grown and grown and grown we're going to have over 30 artists recording his songs and a really amazing combination of artists who are uh, giving their talent and their in their time to this project so the reason we're doing it is to honor neil's memory because he was a, a sweetheart and we all loved him but we're also going to raise suicide awareness for artists or people that have trouble people that need counseling people that have financial trouble. We're running it through the Grammys organization and the Music Cares. Uh, the record should be out in uh, in springtime. It's, uh, it's a really big deal. It's a huge undertaking, over 30 songs and 30 artists. And so any money that we make from the sale of the record is going directly to Music Cares. So anybody in the music business, and uh, everybody needs help now. All the roadies need help because they're not working. All the artists need help because there's no touring. Uh, people have... No insurance. People, have, people are sick. People have depression. And Music Cares is a place where you can go to get help. And any, any money that we make from his publishing rights after the sale of the record is all going to go to the Neil Casal Foundation, which will provide music instruments and musical, uh, music lessons for children in the state of New Jersey where he grew up it's very 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 bittersweet and very sad but we're g- happy to do it and uh, you know it's a very joyful record but it's incredibly sad at the same time I'm producing it with David schools from widespread panic and Gary Waldman my longtime manager has been a genius in terms of you know organizing this incredible array of artists and just organizing all the all the sessions and the flights and the hotel rooms and everything that we've done so that's that's my my when the, the the one of the big projects I'm working on now I'm and, and I've been very lucky. I've been very fortunate. People have come to me. I've had a really good time this year. I have a, a new album out by a great band called Reckless Kelly. Uh, they have a double album out. I've mixed their last couple records. They're fantastic. They're they're an American band. I love them dearly. They play great. I, their own version of like a country folk rock legit kick your ass kind of music that is so real That's great. It, it's so real it's surreal you know it's <laughs> really really great they have a great double album out it's called uh, American Jackpot and American Girls and it's the package is amazing you should really see it great. I'm also excited about uh, I just I made a record with Joe Satriani earlier this year late last year and earlier this year and it's Joe Satriani is one of the absolute greats and I learned so much about guitar tone from him I thought I knew something, but I, man, that guy is like, he is an incredible guitar player and he writes great songs. And we had an amazing band. His album came out earlier this year, it's called Shape Shifting. And um, I'm really, really proud of it because it's a really spectacular uh, performed and sounding record. And I also have to mention my, uh, you know, our, our mutual Lauren, uh, uh, Lauren Monroe, our, our mutual yeah. friend. She yeah. is an incredible songwriter and singer. She's a healer. Yeah, She's a clairvoyant. of She's had a Yeah, we had her on. Yeah, we had her on. Yeah, and uh, ago, she, yeah. has, she has uh, an EP out at the moment called Big Love and Big the love. second EP coming out very, very soon. And then on the heels of both of those EPs, we'll, we'll put them together and release it as an album. You know, those, those are, that's what I'm working on. And what I've been working on, there's also lots of things sort of in the can and I'm, I'm very, very lucky. And thanks for asking about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Neil thing, you know, just let us know when that goes, la- I mean, obviously we, you know, I love Neil, Neil, man, he was such a sweetheart, such a sweetheart. And and Hamish and I had a lot of fun talking with him uh, that one night about, <laughs> I enjoyed the Grateful Dead conversation. I think Hamish enjoyed the Rolling Stone conversation. So yeah, he was like one of those few people that could do both of us. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. kind of like you. We could get <laughs> It was really, it's, it's a, and, and if you don't know Neil's story, please go to the foundation. I know it's tough times and everything, but like he, he was an inspiration to so many people and his, style of playing i mean i saw him perform with chris robinson brotherhood and i was just like wow it's just, i mean he channeled he's just magnificent he's he was a, a beautiful soul so so i'm glad that you're doing that and i think it's important to keep his memory alive um yeah
1: so, no doubt yeah.
0: whatever we can do and speaking of so hamish i know you've got we're hoping to get you some stuff for the uh what are you thinking is next for you
1: yeah,
2: well, obviously, like, as like you know, most musicians really like most of the year was usually spent bouncing between playing live and you know, touring, and then in studios and stuff, and I kind of been you know it's been very different year for me because I've you know been based in LA for the past five years or so and this is the first year kind of back in Australia and here for you know indefinitely at the moment so it's been the streaming gig world (laughs) has been like the big thing so yeah playing a lot you know
0: your your, um, tracks from the Gary tour we're hoping to
2: maybe yeah so that's there's a bunch of recorded stuff from last year when I opened for Gary Clark Jr. that we're hoping you know Jim it would be great (laughs) shifting sifting through stuff and trying to, you know, see what we got. So I think that would be cool to do, to kind of like, especially because I see Trouble and Out of My Head kind of as like a package almost together, That it's cool that some of those songs right, live... Yeah, yeah have taken on like a different life and it'd be cool to show that side of it and yeah, document, you know, especially cause it's pre, whatever's going on now. So it was, you know, yeah, it's almost a right different on. world that stuff. So
0: The sound is amazing. I mean, we know we've got stuff, so we're just really excited, but we have to, you know, so much to go through still it's insane, but that's the goal is one of these days we'll have a nice, one of the other things too, is you see his live, uh, people always ask like, where's the live album, where's the live album. So we're, we'd love to get one. That's like legitimately a live album that, you know, Yeah. Done right. What I, what I uh, so, okay. And before you go, um, two questions. What What are some advice you can give to young musicians or anybody starting out that, like, just quickly, like, help them think about how to get started?
1: Listen. You practice, 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 practice. I, you know, you talk about your ten thousand hours, your hundred thousand hours. Like, if you want to be as good as the people that you admire there's only one way to do it no one is born amazing people practice so practice rehearse stay healthy work with other people have as many take as many chances as you can don't be afraid to fail don't be afraid to walk away from a really good situation into a worse situation if you think it's ultimately going to be better uh you only got one trip around you're going to kick yourself later if you don't if you don't for it so that's sort of my, you know, it's hard out there. It's hard. You know, people ask me all the time, you know, they want to know where where the secret door is to open the door to fame and fortune. And like, like, where's the top of the pops? Where, you know, where do I get on the, where do I get like a huge tour? Where, where, when, how do I, where's the secret door to get me on the stage at the forum? It's like, you got to work so hard. Like just read everyone's story. Everyone's story was from the Beatles to the Van Halen to the Rolling Stones to, you know everybody. Everybody played a million gigs, and Hamish was talking about it earlier. You play every gig that you possibly can, and you learn how to tell a story while you're changing a guitar string that you just broke, or you learn how to play on a five-string <laughs> guitar that has a like the D string is missing. You just figure it out and just keep going, and you know never let them see you sweat. Just like just do it. It's like that's that's the advice. I wish there was a. I wish there was some secret because if there was, I wish I'd have had it a long time ago. But all I know is show up, work hard and be the the happiest guy in the room at, you know, at four o'clock in the morning and come back the next day with a really good attitude. That's all you can do.
0: I mean,
2: Hamish, you're kind of on your journey,
0: but if there's anything you want to.
2: Well, I think all those things are true. And I think really uh, also like just listen to like as much music as you can. And, you know, uh, like with practice, when you practice hours a day, I also like listen to music for hours a day, just because I think that you learn so much, you know, from listening to the greats and things about songwriting and production and singing and all that stuff. It's like, Really just keeping your ears open and staying inspired, I think, is the main thing. Just making sure that, you know, you've always got that inspiration going. That's great.
0: Okay, so speaking of inspiration, the very last question I have for you is something we ask everybody. And I'm curious to see what both of you think. So if you had to choose one song that you, like, you know, those moments when you're like, I wish I had written that song or I wish I'd produced that song or I wish that was my song. I,
2: I mean, crawling back to you is one that I every time by Tom Petty that's on Wildflowers every time I listen to that song it's just it just hits me on such a deep level and it doesn't really sound like anything else I've heard before I can hear different influences but it has its own thing and I think you know the line like most things I worry about never happen anyway. That's like a thread that just runs through my life that I, I just, yeah. It's like, and like, you know, Ooh la la by the faces. That's another one that like, <laughs> yeah, when good. I listen to that, but that's just like, yeah, it's just, it, it's that funny mix of like, I feel happy and melancholy when I listen to it. And it just, it just hits me every time I hear it, you know?
0: That's a good, Those are good, okay. You snuck a second one in, but I said one, so
2: whatever. I can sneak a third one. <laughs>
0: oh. No, Jim, what about you? oh man
1: it <laughs> uh, kind of depends on what decade you know i'm in the 50s the 60s 70s 80s 90s all the way up i'm a big guitar guy okay. i want to i want to okay. i want to pre- pick something that's loud and rocking and just kicking ass and i want to pick something that is like just blows your head off but i think i i might have to pick in my life by uh, the beatles whoa
2: okay that's beautiful you know,
0: try right. that down uh, to check them out. I am
1: gotta go Google that You know, it's, uh, it's a, just a, it's just a sweet it's a sweet song with beautiful words. It's yeah, a beautiful song. You know, it, ma- it makes song. more sense to me as uh, you know as I get oh, further a okay. little further yeah. down the line.
0: Yeah, me too. I get it. It's it's sentimental, and there's nothing like that feeling that you just hear. It. You're like, oh yeah, totally. That's beautiful. I liked your I liked your idea about the uh, when I tell them about the Irving Berlin.
1: Oh yeah, there you go. You can have it.
0: See, they don't know. <laughs> 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 Originally
1: Go ahead. You yeah.
0: So you know, like occasionally you get to do like a little pre-pro, and I was like, oh, just just think about like a like a song that you you know whatever is one that you wish well, you, you, said, had you or, said
1: the song that I would have produced, and yeah, I that's not even, White Christmas because I'd have made a fortune by now. And I'd, <laughs> I'd have an island somewhere with like you know you a know, mansion you know, on top of a mansion and a boat yeah. and a helicopter. These
0: are biggest grossing songs of all time. As a producer, I was like, I respect that. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the smartest answer. I've heard, yeah, it wasn't like (laughs) art strings
1: originally. (laughs) He was, yeah, you know. Uh, Oh, anyway.
0: (laughs) Thank you guys. Yeah, exactly. Thank you guys. Prayer hands. Thank you so much for joining me. I know we went way over. This is our longest uncut, but, you know, to be honest with you, you guys are worth it. And Jim, I'm so grateful that you took some time out of being in the studio to spend some time with us and reminisce about the four years we had since trouble began.
1: Well, I'm glad to be here. It's great to see you again. I miss you guys. I want want, want to get back to normal. I want you here back here as soon as you can come here. Yeah, Yeah, us too. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to a sandwich and a meal highlight for you and okay
2: nothing like you.
0: it yeah he's probably having a hard time finding Miller highlight over there huh?
2: <laughs> to get some
1: import yeah to
0: send, some, to send some cases you know, it's, anyway
1: it's, you the, are, the it's the champagne of beer that it is <laughs> yeah
0: you taught him you taught him well <laughs> anyway thank you again everybody out there please take a listen to Trouble we would really appreciate it celebrate we'll be celebrating tomorrow by listening to it all day and thanks again so much for everything and Jim Hamish We love, I love you. Fuck we, I love you. I'm very, very proud of the work we've done together. Uh, So we'll have on again next year. We'll talk about Out of My Head. But in the meantime, everybody stay safe, wear your masks and we'll see you next week. Take care. Thank you for listening to Uncut Jewels. If you like what you heard, smash that like button and subscribe for more episodes and tell a friend. We firmly believe the world works better that way. This podcast wouldn't have been possible if it weren't for the help of the Uncut Jewels team. Johanna Schock, Jana Fisher, Coco Hong, Sarah Reynolds, Jess Kane, and Viviana Mendoza. Guys, we did this. The Uncut Jules theme song that you're listening to right now was created by our very own guitar hero, Hamish Anderson. And we appreciate everyone who's helped bring us from where we were to where we're going. To paraphrase David Bowie, we promise it won't be boring.